A reading from Philippians chapter 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and we beg that uh, you would send your spirit uh, to manifest your presence among us as you promised. And we ask that your spirit would do your work through your word, uh, that we might come to see that Jesus is our righteousness when we are joined to him in faith. God, we need this and we pray that you'd help us to understand this, uh, not only with our heads, but with our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are uh, continuing our series uh, this morning uh, that we're calling We Believe, and uh, we introduced this uh, last week, and uh, we gave a few caveats, and that is that uh, this six-week series that we're doing is not a survey of all the basic beliefs of Christianity. There's a lot of important things uh, that we're not going to be talking about, um, nor is this a comprehensive survey, uh, a deep dive of Presbyterian and Reformed belief, if you even know what that means. Um, rather, what we are doing is we're trying to unpack some core convictions that drive our mission as, our ch- as a church. And we're also trying to, 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 to put some legs underneath some phrases you might hear tossed around if you hang around Grace for a while. Uh, phrases like the gospel is at the center of everything. And one that we're going to look at a little bit today, which is you are free to struggle instead of struggling to be free. Last week, we, our first uh, topic was, we believe in the foolishness of the cross. And that is this thing that looks so foolish and weak is actually the power and wisdom of God. Christ crucified is our boast, and Christ crucified is the basis of our unity. Bringing together what the world never seems to be able to bring together. Well, this morning, uh, our second topic is this, we believe Jesus is our righteousness. Now, if you're new to the Christian faith, the language of righteousness or justification, you might hear us say things like that sometimes, um, you might not be familiar with this. Uh, We are justified in God's sight through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That was one of the, uh, the main messages of the Protestant Reformation. And if this is new language to you, it simply means we are declared righteous in God's sight. 
We are approved. We are accepted. We are received. We are welcomed in his sight through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's a verdict passed over us. Not the mind-blowing, world-rearranging message of the gospel is that because of Jesus, the final verdict over our lives has already been spoken over us in the present. And if you get that, I believe it'll change your life like nothing else ever will. And it's not because of anything we've done. In fact, it's in spite of a whole lot of what we've done. It's because of what Jesus has done. Lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and then was raised for our justification. Faith is the open hand that receives this gift from God. Now, many of you, I know, have been studying the book of Romans in our women's Bible studies. And uh, it'll sound familiar to you because Paul gives a lot of attention to the theme of righteousness and its cousin word, justification. And uh, in one of the places, Romans chapter 4, verse 25, uh, he writes this, Righteousness will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered over for our trespasses, and raised for our justification. Jesus passed through death and in his resurrection received the divine approval, righteous. And that approval, that verdict is counted as ours when we're joined to him by faith. Now, I know some of you right now, um, you might be saying, who cares? I'm not really a religious person. I don't really think a lot about righteousness. Why should I even care about this theme of righteousness? But I, I wanna suggest to you that righteousness and justifying ourselves is not simply a religious problem. It is a human problem. So let's take this outside of the realm of formal religion for a second. And I believe you're going to find it everywhere. And if you want to think about it this way, think about it like this. Our righteousness is what we present before an audience in order to receive a verdict. Righteous, approved welcomed, accepted, received. Our righteousness is what we present before an audience in order to be accepted, and you find it everywhere in your life. Now, let's take an easy target, Instagram. What is Instagram? You know what Instagram is? It is the presentation of a self before an audience in order to get a verdict, liked. And that might be saying, okay, that's kind of fun, but if you'll notice, that's undoing a lot of people in our world because that like, that verdict means so much that they begin to fall apart when there's not enough of them. Or, and let's be honest, some of us post not because we want a whole bunch of likes, but because we're looking for that one like. We're looking for that one person, that audience to see us and say, love, heart that because it makes us feel something about ourselves. All right, so maybe not, let, let's not pick on Instagram. Everybody loves to pick on Instagram, right? I love Instagram, it's fun. Um, let's think about your job search or trying to get into college for those of you who are high school juniors and seniors. What is job search? What, it, what is college admissions? Well, it is this whole enterprise that is riddled with insecurity because the verdict of welcome has not yet been given. You're presenting a self before an audience, hoping for that verdict. Welcomed, approved, accepted. 
All right, how about let's talk about dating for a second. Dating is fraught with anxiety because the verdict hasn't been passed over yet. You know what that verdict is that you want? Wanted forever. And so you're presenting a self before an audience hoping for a verdict. Or how about this one? In the Silicon Valley, people love to talk about imposter syndrome. Everybody says, I I, I feel like maybe I'm the one person who snuck in into this job, into Stanford, and you feel like a fraud. And you know what that is? Underneath that is, I'm afraid I presented a false self and it passed, but it's not really reflective of who I am. And so I am here by accident or by manipulation. Or maybe even moving deeper into our culture. And again, I'm just trying to press upon us that this dynamic is everywhere because it is a human problem. When you think about outrage culture, a lot of people are writing a lot of stuff about outrage culture. And people like Wilford McClay, if you go back and read his 2017 article, uh, The Strange Persistence of Guilt, or you read David Brooks, his article in the New York Times, which uh, is kind of teeing off of that, and it's titled the same, The Strange Persistence of Guilt. It's talking about how we've moved away from religion, but guilt is still present everywhere. This sense of inadequacy, of failure, of not measuring up, and we don't know what to do with it. And one thing that's begun to happen is we begin to scapegoat. We begin to find another group to direct our feelings of guilt against so that we feel better about ourselves. This is the way uh, Elizabeth Nolan Brown, is a feminist scholar, uh, talked about it a few years ago. Reviewing research that social psychologists had produced on outrage, she remarked that outrage posts tend to assuage guilty feelings and confirm one's own sense of being a VGP, a very good person. I made that up, VGP, but she said very good person, okay? Look, look, George Bernard Shaw, the Irish playwright, political activist, he said that we should all have to appear before a board every five years and justify our existence. I'm like, George, uh, truth is, we're doing it every day of our lives. You know, I was was talking to somebody uh, not, not too long ago, and she and her daughter had been out of town for the weekend at a sports tournament, and uh, they were in an absolutely beautiful setting. But she was telling me how upset her daughter had, was becoming over the weekend, how nervous and how anxious and how restless she felt. So she said to her daughter, she's like, honey, take a look at where we are. You see these mountains? You see these trees? You see that sunset? We get to be here together. Let's just enjoy this time. And her daughter said, I don't care about any of this. I just want to be the best. And I will never be the best. You know, it breaks your heart, doesn't it? But you know something of it in your own life. When I was serving students at Stanford as a campus minister, I had one say to me, I don't even know why God made me when he made so many other people who can do things better than me. Look, some of the most successful, accomplished people on planet Earth are the most nervous, insecure, and defensive. That's truth. And maybe it's not being the best for you, but it's something else. If you think about what you're really afraid of, it often boils down to not measuring up. That's why we're terrified of failure, because failure is a verdict over our lives. This is unapproved, 
unacceptable. And then, of course, in rush the influencers trying to heal it with self-affirmation. But it doesn't work. Because according to the Bible, this dynamic that we are all wrapped up in has theological roots. That God made us and he made us good and we had his approval. But through the fall, the entrance of sin, we experienced alienation, not only from God, but from one another. And life becomes characterized by fear and anxiety, longing for acceptance and approval. And it is the story of your life and mine. And God says what we need is a righteousness. And the Hebrew and Greek words uh, that are used for that in the Bible are, are used to describe right, a record, a performance that passes scrutiny. We need a righteousness that passes scrutiny. And we don't just need it before the audience of others. We need it before the audience of one, and that is God. And so is there a way out of this dynamic? And that's what I want to talk about this morning. The Christian faith says yes. And the way out is by finding your righteousness in Jesus. Which means the verdict that our hearts so desperately long for is actually given to us in Jesus Christ because of his faithfulness, not our own, and because of his righteousness, not our own. In our passage that we're looking at this morning, Paul tells a bit of his own story. If you go to the book of Romans, you're going to read more detailed argumentation that he has. It's a great place to go. You go to other uh, places in his writing, like the book of Galatians. Uh, Again, very careful argumentation. But here, Paul makes a testimony of sorts. And this is what he says. I have been found in him, that is Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And one of the things he writes a little early in verse 3, which basically could in some ways be a good starting point for those of you who are thinking about, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, you know what a Christian is? It's someone who glories in Christ Jesus and puts no confidence in the flesh. In other words, it's someone who discovers Jesus is my righteousness. And what I think this does for us and where I want to go over the next two weeks is this makes us free to struggle instead of struggling to be free. But let's begin with this. How do you get found in Jesus? How do we get found in him? And here's the first thing. You got to shred your resume. Look at verse four through six in our passage. Paul gives us his resume. And a resume is meant to get you in to some place you are not yet in. It is a presentation of self before an audience in order to get a verdict. Gives us access if we satisfy the requirements. Okay? That's why we only put good things and the best things about ourselves on our resumes. I've never seen a resume where someone put failed sophomore English three times or ruined countless relationships through my selfishness or I'm often very hard to work with. Okay, those don't show up on our resumes. These these are the best presentations of ourselves. And Paul had an impressive resume. He says, if anyone thinks he has confidence, reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) More is such a great word here. Right? That's, that's how things work, isn't it? More. Who has more? Who has more talent? Who has more experience? Who has more degrees? Who has more money? Right? Who has more to offer here? 
And Paul's not making an empty boast, by the way. He lays out the specifics. And in the Jewish world of the first century, uh, which is the domain in which this conversation is taking place, uh, he, he goes for it. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. Right? I wasn't a convert to Judaism. He says, I was born that way. I was a covenant child. I was a first-class citizen, not an add-on. And he says, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was one of two of the, uh, of the, of the tribes that were faithful to the house of David. So he's part of the classy group, not the disreputable group in Israel. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's pure-blooded, no mixed ancestry, good family, not a compromiser. As to the law, that means the demands that we're trying to satisfy, he was a Pharisee, which meant that he was a scrupulous rule keeper. No one could doubt the depths of his devotion. And he also, by the way, happened to be highly educated. Uh, people guess, you know, if we were to try to translate in equivalencies what the education Paul had in his day to now, it would be like he had two or three PhDs. As to righteousness, according to the law, blameless. A plus on his spiritual report card, 4.0 in religiosity, observable conduct, exemplary. And you know, you, you, you know, the people that the gospel is hardest for is people like this, very good persons, VGPs. What's on your resume? How do you establish your goodness? What achievements do you find your rest in? And here, here's a good way to tell. Wherever we find our righteous, righteousness, wherever we are seeking our justification in our life, we tend to defend with passionate zeal and we are terrified of losing. Or another way to, to put it is we tend to use it to judge others and we feel very anxious about it in ourselves, whether we're keeping it up. So let me give you some examples. If you find your righteousness of being a hardworking person, right, you tend to be very harsh and critical of people you regard as lazy. And you also, you tend to be incredibly defensive when someone criticizes you, especially if they're questioning whether you've done hard work. If you find your righteousness in being an open-minded person, you tend to men to be very smug, right, toward those you think are narrow-minded or simpletons, and to be very touchy if anyone suggests that maybe you're not as open-minded as you think. If you find your righteousness in your parenting, you tend to think families with troubled kids are that way because they did it wrong. And you're furious at anyone suggests that you might not be doing everything right. See, that's when you begin to un, have undisclosed to yourself, have uncovered before you of like, what am I actually looking to to present the best version of myself before an audience to get the verdict that I long for? Paul had an impressive resume, but something changed the way he regarded it. And this is what he writes in verse seven. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. You know, that's, that's like banking language. It's accounting language. 
His gains became losses. His assets suddenly seemed to him liabilities. His deposits now looked like withdrawals. What is he saying here? He's saying, I declared spiritual bankruptcy. But it's actually even more intense than that. He says in verse 8, I actually now counted all this rubbish. Now that's a very soft translation of a word that Paul uses here. The word is scubala. And if you look at other instances of it in ancient Greek, it means feces or trash. Now, can you imagine saying something like this about your greatest accomplishments? You know my three degrees from Stanford? You know my Nobel Prize? You know my making partner? Total crap. Okay, that's, that's what Paul is saying. And he's not being cute. What he's saying is when I began to understand what it would take to present a righteousness that passes scrutiny before the audience of almighty and holy God. I realize that what I have to offer is not enough. Why would he say such things? How could he say such things like that? And this is why, and this is really important because God doesn't diminish the value or significance of your work, your achievements and your accomplishments in certain respects. But when you are trying to gain a righteousness, they become like feces. Paul says in verse 8, it was because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. This is what Paul is saying. I had the most amazing resume until I met Jesus. And then I tore my resume to pieces. Now look, what? Why was that the case? Well, it's interesting. If you look at some of Paul's other writings, um, he gives hints of it, but he never goes into great detail. But one of the things he said in Romans 7 is that it was the commandment, do not covet, that actually uncorked him. <laughs> he's checking all the list and he's, he's thinking, yep, did that. Um, worship no other God, you know, but Yahweh. Like, oh, I'm keeping the Sabbath. I'm doing all this kind of stuff, right? When he got to do not covet, it's What's going on here, you know? And he tells us, we looked at this a little earlier in our service, that the law comes in to actually first expose us, show us up, reveal to us our sin. And maybe Paul's experience was such that he was beginning to be troubled and conscious. He doesn't quite say that. But what he says here is this, I met Jesus and I saw what righteousness is. And I said, that's what I gotta have. Now look, I want you to ask yourself this question. What do you think is your biggest hindrance to spiritual progress in your life? And I would be willing to bet that all of us would begin by mentioning some weakness of ours. Some habit, some pattern of sin, some, you know, we're trying, but we just can't like seem to overcome it or get it right or whatever. But what if it's actually our greatest strengths that are hindering us the most? The things that we look to, to establish righteousness before God and before others. And we feel their fragility. We feel their vulnerability. We feel their losability. And you know what it does? It sucks all the joy out of our life. See, the gospel is different from religion in this fundamental way. Religion is always calling you to build a resume, to say, here's all the good things I've done and here's all the bad things I haven't done. But people who receive the gospel say, no, 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 no. One thing on my resume when it comes to ultimate righteousness. 
and that is Jesus Christ. You don't need to polish your resume, people. You need to shred it. And this is the second thing. You need to receive the righteousness that is offered in Jesus. Paul says, I I counted all this as rubbish because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, being found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith. Every religion has a way of establishing righteousness. In Hinduism, get good karma and eventually you'll you'll escape the cycle of samsara. In Buddhism, follow the eightfold path and hopefully one day you'll achieve nirvana. In Islam, live in full submission, perform the five pillars and you get Allah's blessing. And by the way, even in secularism, we've psychologized this and we've turned it into how do I get to real self-love and real self-acceptance? And you know what the answer always is? Do the work. Do the work. Only Christianity come and says, the work has been done. It is yours for the taking. It is a gift to be received. It is something fully and completely finished by Jesus in his obedience, in his life, and his death. Only Christianity tells you how to receive a righteousness. Now listen, I, we gotta be honest. The Bible makes the problem worse before it makes it better because it means facing some things about ourself. But it makes it worse or shows that it's worse so we can get the best possible news imaginable. The Bible says no one is righteous, no, not one. And then it says, and yet you can be found in him, not having a righteousness of your own, but that which is through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness we crave cannot be achieved by our efforts. It must be received from God as a gift. And this is what Jesus brings to us in the gospel. See, normally we're gonna judge and evaluate everything on the basis of of our performance. But in the gospel, God gives us a righteousness apart from our performance, actually based on his not having a righteousness of my own. We didn't achieve it, earn it, establish it. It was given to us. Now, I heard a story uh, years ago from a friend of mine who was a campus minister, and uh, he had a student named Shane. Shane was in the ROTC. And uh, this strange thing happened to Shane when he graduated uh, from the university. Is that on the day that he graduated, he was simultaneously admitted and then honorably discharged from the United States Army. Which means for the rest of his life, he gets all the benefits of a veteran. When he actually never served one single day of his life in the U.S. Army. And my friend said, that's justification. (laughs) That's justification, right? That is being declared righteous in God's sight. However, there's a problem with this. Someone did earn it. Someone did do the work. And they did it for you. And that was Jesus. That is why his obedient life is as important as his sacrificial death and his resurrection. They're all of one and they all go together and they're all part of the gospel. The good news to us, this foolish, weak way of God turns out to be his wisdom and his power. And Jesus becomes our righteousness. Now look, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, this makes very lazy Christians. If I'm declared righteous in God's sight, 
wholly and completely through, through the work of Jesus, then what motivation is left to do right? And let me just point something out. That shows how deeply embedding, embedded in our hearts is the notion that we must work for what we get and that there's no other motivation. But the gospel comes to us and says, this is a gift that if received will change your life in a way that rules and demands never will. And you see it in the life of Paul. How does he end this passage? He ends this passage saying, now my life is characterized by a desire to know him and the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the, the resurrection from the dead. See, when someone shreds their religious resume, receives the righteousness of Jesus by faith, something beautifully mysterious begins to happen in them. They begin to change in ways that go far deeper than behavioral modification and superficial adjustments. Their whole life is reoriented. That's what happened to Paul. He became consumed with a passion to know this Christ, and his life began to be conformed to him in self-sacrificial love. Born out. And I, I don't know, this is a little dangerous to say, but can I, can I just say it? Stop trying to be a good Christian. You know what I mean by that? Trying to be a good Christian, it's like you're always just trying to like, I gotta, I gotta be better, I gotta show I'm better, I gotta improve, I gotta make, make myself better. And you know what it always leads to? Burnouts and dropouts. I, I've seen this for 20 years here. Because what it leads you to is suddenly veering off the path to trying to establish a righteousness for yourself and it takes so much energy to hide and cover up and pretend and convince yourself that you're doing a really, really, really good job and it burns you to the ground. You start looking to Christ, resting in his righteousness, it begins to lead to a deep security. Neither your failures nor your successes define you, Jesus does, and suddenly you begin to find a profound freedom and joy in your life. That's why we say at Grace over and over again, the gospel makes us free to struggle instead of struggling to be free. The presentation before the one audience that matters has already happened and the verdict has already been given. When you're joined to Jesus by faith, the declaration of righteousness, righteous, is pronounced over you. What does that mean for your life? Well, one of the things it means is you finally know peace. Romans 5.1, Paul writes, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you know that peace? Or do, you, or do you think his love and his favor go up and down with your performance every day? If you don't build your confidence on the work of Christ, you'll build it on your own work and you'll feel its fragility and vulnerability and losability. And you'll defend it and guard it relentlessly. And here's the other thing. You'll never learn how to love. See, a lot of times what we are doing for others is really being done for ourselves. We are using them to make us feel better about ourselves, which is why we're so stinking angry when they don't receive it like we want them to, or they don't give us credit, right? Or they don't treat us the way we've been treating them. But when the gospel lands in your life and you find your righteousness in Jesus, you find a new freedom to begin to give yourself away in self-sacrificial love. And so this is what he did for me. Like, I want to extend that to others. You know what else you get? You get joy. 
Do you know where Paul is writing these words? In prison. And he begins saying, rejoice in the Lord. How do you say something like that without just being an absolute psychopath, right? Do you know why? Because the thing that was most important had been settled in his life. The verdict had been given and it was given in Jesus. And Paul says, whatever else happens, I am confident of this, right? That he loves me, that he has received me, that he is at work in me and through me. And I can, I can rest my head on that pillow every single night when I go to sleep. Look, I, I am trying to, to twist this into our hearts because this is so important and is the thing we forget more and more quickly than anything else. Jesus is our righteousness. And being joined to him by faith means you don't have to hide, you don't have to pretend, you don't have to fake it anymore. The audition is over forever. Approved, welcomed, received because of the work of Christ. And we're gonna look at next week further implications of how this begins to change everything about the way we live in the world. Let's pray. God, we thank you uh, for this great good news. Uh, News that we confess our hearts grow cold and numb to at times. News that we confess that our hearts feel resistant to at times. But news that ultimately we need to hear and we need to receive by faith. God, would you by your spirit work this into the core of our being that we would find our righteousness in Jesus and that we would begin to feel the freedom, the freedom to struggle instead of struggling to get free and that we begin to feel the joy uh, that we have been made right in the eyes of the one audience that truly matters. And God, we, we, we need to hear this. We need to be reminded of this. We need to rest in this every single day. So would you help us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.